This is the Power of Genetics podcast, the podcast designed to help visionary practitioners build a more successful practice, transform more lives, and lead their patients into the future of personalized health. In each episode, I'll interview successful practitioners and leading thought leaders who will share their insights and expertise to help you prepare your practice for what lies ahead. I'm your host, Dr. Yael Jaffe, and now let's get into today's episode. Good morning and a very big welcome to Dr. Sarah Gottfried, a very special colleague and also a friend of mine who I've known for a few years now and looking forward to many, many, many more years working together. So welcome, Sarah. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. So I know a lot about you and I have been following you for a very long time, your career and the many things you're doing, the many, many things you're doing. But I would love you to introduce yourself to our listeners and tell them a little bit about what is this journey that you've been on that has found you in this incredible place. And we'll we'll talk a little bit just now about what this incredible, awesome place is that you're in and the multitude of things that you're doing. But I'd love to go back and tell them about who you are, where you started, how you landed up in functional medicine and precision medicine, and, and then we can take it from there. Sure. Well, you know, what I would say first and foremost is that I'm a wife and a mother. I think that's an essential part of the work that I do. And in terms of functional medicine, as well as, you know, I I like to think of it sort of as root cause medicine. So functional medicine, precision medicine, integrative medicine, health-based medicine. The reason why I turned away from mainstream medicine and looked for some other ways of taking care of patients and also solving my own health problems was that I was in my 30s and I was really struggling. I did have the experience of growing up with a great grandmother who was a bit of a radical. She was a whole foodist. She really believed that nutrition was the key to having a long and full life. She died in her sleep with no chronic disease at age 97. So she really inspired me. Her name was Mud. My grandfather couldn't say the name Mother, and so he called her Mudder, the German word, and it stuck as Mud. But she really, in many ways, galvanized me toward thinking more broadly than health is just, you know, the absence of disease. So she practiced yoga way before we had a yoga studio on every street corner. But her influence, I would say, didn't really come full circle for me until... I was in my 30s. I had one kid. I was working in what I think of as McMedicine, where I was seeing about 40 patients a day. And I was really struggling. I remember I would come home from work at the end of the day. It'd be about 6 p.m. And I would just sit in my driveway in my car, so exhausted, trying to think, how am I gonna, how am I gonna walk in that front door of my house and really show up for my family? because I don't have the energy for it. And I don't know how much longer I can keep doing this. So that's when I went to my primary care doc who said, gosh, sounds like you should go on an antidepressant. And oh, you know that all this weight gain that you've had since you've had a baby, it's just a matter of calories in and calories out. You know this, he even wrote it on a whiteboard. Oh man. Yeah, and I, I just, I realized at that point that mainstream medicine was failing me. And I also realized that it was failing so many of my patients. 
and that I needed to take a step back and to find another way of going about this career in medicine. So at the time, I'd been listening to Jeff Bland for many years. I really believed in function as our focus. I believed in functional medicine. Integrative medicine was part of my work at that point, too. I was influenced by Andy Weil, who would come and speak to us at Harvard Medical School. And so I really decided that I wanted to integrate this into my practice in a new way. So that was quite a while ago. That was uh, almost 20 years ago. And I would say it's been a wild journey and, you know, lots of high points and low points along the way. But I really think that this decision to step away from mainstream medicine and to see the value that can be added by functional precision and integrative medicine, that has served me beautifully. But if anyone's listening to this, they're going to think you're an amazing doctor and you found this amazing integrative functional medicine, but there's so much more to the work you do. So the thing about the work you do, and I'm just going to, a couple of things. The first is you're what I could call a physician scientist. So you're, you're an absolute natural scientist that even when you're not doing science, you're doing science and you're always looking for the science in what you do, either formally as in trying to, to, I mean, we were just talking earlier about a, a pre-diabetes study that you're involved in, or even the way you conceive of the work you do is extremely scientific. Anyone who's been at your presentations will know the depth and detail and rigor of the science that you apply to your presentations. So that's the first thing I know about you. The second thing I know about you is your extraordinary ability to communicate. So you, for me, you're, you're a communicator. And often in our field, it's extremely difficult to find doctors who can communicate and educate practitioners like myself, but also to be able to connect and reach out to our patients, our clients, and the consumer. And you have been able to do both. And so for me, that I don't know if it's empathy or compassion, but I would love to get your take on it. What is it that has enabled you to be both this physician scientist so academic and, and you continue that work and this extraordinary communicator, both to practitioners, but also to connect with patients, which has been a lot of your work. Well, first, I, I appreciate your kind words so much. Yeah, I would say being a scientist has been part of my worldview for all of my life. And I, I started out actually in engineering. So I dropped out of a, a PhD program in bioengineering. And I think that in many ways is part of what you're picking up on, which is I've got a systems-based way of looking at the body and also in terms of looking at problems, like what is the problem to solve? So I think that science is a big part of that. I love searching for the truth. I think you and I have that in common. I think that's really the nature of science, like really being open to what the truth is, regardless of maybe what your biases are and what you hope to find scientifically. And in terms of messaging, I appreciate that comment so much because I believe ultimately as physicians, our ultimate job is to market, to really understand how do we take the patient that's in front of us, really understand their phenotype, understand like what matters to them when it comes to health? What do they want their health for? Who is it they want to be in the world? And how can we support them in doing that? So when we take that patient who's in front of us and we really want to 
understand and then leverage this concept of health, we then have to convince that person to do those things, whether it's eating a nutrient-dense food plan that has you know, a minimum of five colors of the rainbow and the vegetables that they're choosing, or encouraging them to exercise in a way that you know, is not for something like, you know, we want you to get your target heart rate to this zone. You know, what we want in terms of exercise is we really want it for longevity, for brain health, for getting that kind of movement that we're genetically programmed to do. So I think that marketing is ultimately what we need to be doing as physicians. And that's where the messaging comes in. And when we're talking about science, the tricky part, of course, CIL, is that we have to simplify without oversimplifying. And that's where I think the edges, that's where things get really interesting. Whether you're talking about metabolic health or you're talking about genetics or you're talking about epigenetics, we really have to find ways to talk about these concepts in a way that you know moves the heart of another person and really gets them to consider their behaviors, consider what their goals are and to change, to up-level. So this is what's going through my head now, Sarah, is I'm listening to this and I'm thinking about this extraordinary work you've been doing in the area of women's health and hormones, particularly around menopausal women. So me being my age and feeling this extraordinary, almost overwhelmed feeling and talking to my friends about it, about what should we be doing? What's going to change? How do we get over this hump? What's going happening to us? Are we losing our minds? And you've been able to create a conversation with women like myself that has not only given us real information on what to do, but has made us feel like there's hope. Really, that's the only way to describe that. We're not this, you know, when you get to 50 and you're almost like, goodbye, you know, thank you very much. It's been great. Like you've served your purpose. Off you go. And I think that's a bit harsh, but, but I think that there is that reality out there. And I think what you've done is you've been able to connect with a significant part of the population who felt like they weren't being heard. And and so for me in the work that you do, over and above content, knowledge, science, is this empathy and compassion. I was just wondering how, whether that was intentional, that's something that you really seek to work on, or whether it's just the nature of who you are and always has been kind of the work that you do. Probably a bit of both. I would say... Fundamentally, I'm a physician, and my experience is derived from that one-on-one experience with a patient. And so, you know, the first book that I wrote, The Hormone Cure, was really about those conversations with patients and understanding on a deep level what they're up against. So I first started listening to women, you know, when I went to medical school in 1989. So that's a lot of decades of listening to women really understanding some of their challenges, understanding, you know, what it's like to live in white male patriarchy, how to really live our best, deepest lives, given some of the challenges that we have, as you described with kind of the way that once you're done with your fertile years, in many ways, our our culture works against us. There's a way that women can feel like they disappear and they're not heard and they're not listened to, they're not considered in the same way. Fortunately, that's changing. But I, I really felt like this is the more intentional part that maybe you're asking about. I felt like the conversation had to change. That the way that we were talking about 
women, women's health, hormones, it had to change because it's centered around women who are trying to get pregnant. And if you even look at something really simple, like, okay, what's going on with your hormones? What's happening with estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, cortisol, and so forth. When you're trying to get pregnant and you're having difficulty, we'll check all those hormones. We'll look at all those levels. If you're not trying to get pregnant and you go to your physician or to your healthcare professional and say, listen, I'm 42, I'm 47, I'm 53. I feel like there's something going on with my hormones. Then they get told, well, your hormones fluctuate too much. It's not even worth measuring them. So that's one example of the way in which mainstream medicine fails women and also sets up a double standard where if you're trying to have a baby, we'll give you all of this testing. If you're not, sorry, you're on your own. Good luck with that. So that was one of those conversations that needed to change. We needed to talk about hormones. We needed to talk about the essential role of lifestyle from diet and nutrition to genetics, to where we are with wearables, to data streams, you know, to really understand, okay, for you, how do you define health? What are the metrics that matter the most? Okay, is it hemoglobin A1C? Is it fasting glucose? Okay, let's go there, let's go deep, and let's understand how to optimize it. I couldn't agree more. I mean, the idea that the conversation, and, and I'm just grateful that I'm at this age now that I am, that I'm having this conversation. Because if it was 10 years ago, I would not be empowered. In fact, I had a birthday a month ago and it was a fantastic day. And the reason it was a fantastic day for me is because when I woke up, I said, you know what? I feel better than I did a year ago. If anything, I'm fitter, I'm stronger, I'm leaner, I'm cognitively better than I was a year ago, which means that that I'm not disappearing in any way, quite the contrary. And I've been able to make such careful and considered changes in my life to bring me to that space. So I, I, I'm one of those people who've really benefited from the conversation changing. And I'm seeing that with my friends as well, that we are saying, actually, hold on one second. We still, there's still some tricks that we can do. And actually, if we make some really good decisions, we are actually going to be better than we've ever been, which is really where I believe, certainly for myself, that's where I am. So you raised genetics. So I'm going to, I'm going to take the bed. <laughs> Wait, can I, I, I make one quick bed. comment? Can I make <laughs> yeah, one sure. quick comment? So I, I really love that you're highlighting this point because that level of empowerment and the way, you know, I would say what you just described with cognition, with your physical fitness, you know, your nutrition has been good all the way along, but the way that you feel waking up with your birthday a month ago, that's exactly what I'm talking about with really understanding health, understanding health for you as an individual and dialing it in and even metricizing it, which is what we love to do in precision medicine. I was talking to a patient yesterday and we were looking at her bone density over the years. She's now 53, about to turn 54. And we were looking at her bone density that showed osteopenia back when she was 36 and how her bone density has improved since that initial diagnosis. And one of the things she was saying to me was, you know, I feel better than I ever did in my 30s. I feel better now than at any other time in my life. Now she's got some chronic diseases. It's not like life is super easy for her, but this is something that we've actually seen in the scientific literature. If you look at the work, for instance, of Arthur Stone, 
published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, he found that when you look at well-being, and he had a way of defining it, mostly psychological well-being, we know that people reach a peak in their 20s, both men and women, and then they reach a peak again in their 50s. And in between is this nadir where, you know, most of us are like, you know, chasing after a career or raising children or children, yeah, you know, married, uh, divorced, maybe, you know, like yeah. lots of different life situations that can be somewhat challenging, you know, dealing with a mortgage, et cetera, et cetera. And so I love that inspiration and hope that you're sharing about being in your 50s because this is what's possible, I believe, with the kind of work that we do. Absolutely. Now can I talk about genetics? Yes, now you can talk about genetics. <laughs> let's layer in genetics. <laughs> let's, let's talk about genetics, right? I'm super excited about this conversation and what it means to me and my friends and my sisters. And it's it, the conversation is completely changing. So let's factor in genetics. So obviously that's my space. And I have been working with you for some time um, around genetics. And so obviously genetics is information, essentially. So I'd love to ask you, because I, I always share my opinions about genetics, is in the things that we've been talking about, where does genetics feature? What is the role that genetics is going to play to be able to take this conversation more forward? Yeah, genetics plays a, an essential primary role. It provides the blueprint for health. And, you know, we're learning more and more about the role of genetics, the role of epigenetics, the way that our DNA interacts with the environment. And I think that in the work that I do in precision medicine, where I'm looking at multiple data streams to really understand in a comprehensive way, the state of homeostasis of a patient that I'm taking care of, I think genetics is such an essential part of that. Now, I was at Harvard MIT when the Human Genome Project was underway. It's been almost 20 years since it was first mapped. And many of us were hopeful that this would transform medicine immediately. And I would say it's taken longer to really understand how genetics fits into our framework, our conceptual model, in the work that we do in precision medicine, functional medicine, and integrative medicine, all the medicines. But we're now at this point where I think we understand it's not just, okay, you have this SNP, so you should do this. It's much more about pathways. It's much more about you know the systems biology approach. That's the future of genetics and medicine. Of course, I'm going to agree with that. Built a whole company based on pathways. So that's a damn good thing that you agree I happen to me, love right? your pathways. Yes. <laughs> we all love the pathways. Right. So let's, let's, I mean, of course I can't, I mean, I'm so in agreement with your answer in genetics. So I don't even have to answer another question. So, so well, let's You have to disagree about, about something. Can't you, I need you to find something <sighs> to disagree about. All right. I'll find something. Um, I believe in pathways. I believe that genetics plays a significant role in understanding our patients, that it gives us unique insight. You said that and disagree. I agree that it's taken a really long time, that the Human Genome Project did not deliver what we believed that it would deliver. And in fact, that many companies in the genetic testing space have still not delivered and that they're still battling because they're not doing pathways. Um, they're overstretching the science and 
that they'd not seen genetics in context, which is, you know, it's just a piece of information that you're using to understand your patient by itself. It's not the holy grail of understanding. So I don't know. I didn't disagree. I just added, just added more. We don't disagree. Well, the other thing I love about your work and how you've transformed what we can do with patients in terms of genetic testing is that you're very honest and transparent about what we know, but also what we don't know when it comes to genetics, epigenetics, lifestyle factors, the way that DNA interacts with the environment. I really appreciate that. I mean, you have a level of scientific rigor that we need to be able to move this field forward. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. That's If, if that's what we've did, then I'm delighted because that's actually the hardest thing, right? It is, is to the bring- hardest thing scientific integrity into a field like genetics where everyone's really just trying to commercialize. I mean, it's it's tough. We can't cherry pick. And we can't have favorites and say, well, I like this genes. I'm going to put it in my tests because, you know, it's my best friend or it sells lots of supplements or right. So, so I think good science is foundational. And I think that's the same in your work. It's not that we talk about it all the time, but if we we have to have good science as our foundation and then everything else we do afterwards, the talks we give, the books we write, um, the conversations we have is built on kind of base of solid sound science. And I think then we can do amazing things. Agreed. Let's talk about amazing things again. So mm-hmm. I want to talk about your new book, but before I get to your new book, I want to make sure that we leave everyone who's listening to this podcast with some gems to take home. And you have had this extraordinary career that we've discussed now. And what would be the advice that you would give to someone who's starting out and with it's, again, functional, integrative, health medicine, lifestyle medicine, genomic medicine, I don't mind. But what would be the advice to someone who looks at you and goes, wow, that is just extraordinary what you've accomplished. Your impact on healthcare and medicine has really fundamentally changed something. I cannot even imagine how I would get to be where you are. What would be your advice for that, that practitioner starting out? Yeah, so I have several ideas in terms of advice. The first is be a lifelong learner. I mean, I, I think that's true of most clinicians that they're committed to it, but it's, you know, it's not as simple as get board certified in integrative medicine or get IFM CP'd and then you're done. It's really continuous learning. It's it's staying up on the literature, which is very difficult to do given the volume that we have. And so that's where we also have to rely on my second piece of advice, which is having a network, a community that really supports you in practicing the best possible medicine and helps to keep you updated because we all can't do it on our own. It has to be a collaborative effort, which brings in some of those more feminine qualities that I think medicine really needs. Third, I would say build a platform. So this might be a little bit different than some of your other guests that you've had, because I really believe that, you know, if you want to have an impact, yes, you'll have an impact one-on-one with patients. And I don't want to disparage that in any way. That's how I started. But if you want to amplify your message, if you really want to have an impact that's bigger than just the, you know, the patients that you see each day, has to be through a platform. So that means social media, that means writing articles, it means engaging and commenting on those members of your network that are also on social media. And I think especially with where we're going from the old thinking in medicine to the new thinking in medicine, where we're going from 
tribalism and polarization toward more full spectrum thinking and non-binary and really out of the box, that requires a platform. The fourth thing I'd say is, I'm going to get a little quieter here because this is about burnout. And I think one of the risks in the work that we do with functional medicine, precision medicine, is that we work really hard. There's a lot of demand. There's not a lot of supply. And so we have to be really attentive to that archetype of the healer and to make sure that, you know, just like the, it's almost a cliche now that you have to put on your own oxygen mask first. I really believe that. You know, what does that look like? What does it look like in your day today to put your own oxygen mask on first, not to give until you drop to your patients, not to give until you drop to your kids or to your family, but to really make sure that your own sense of wellness and health is kind of, you know, overflowing the brim so that you can give from that place, that place of plenty and abundance. We know that in mainstream medicine, one of the biggest problems is the rate of burnout. You know, physician suicide is at an alarming rate. And so a big part of the work that we do, and my advice for folks who are just starting out in this type of medicine, is to really make sure that you're taking care of yourself. You know, don't redline. You got to be aware, you know, when, you're, when your tank of gas is starting to decline, or, you know, maybe we should use an electric vehicle analogy here that might be more appropriate. So... <laughs> If you're driving a Tesla and you notice that, you know, your battery's going flat, your battery's going flat, you're, you know, driving too fast, then, you know, go charge, figure out how you best charge, recharge yourself. That's such an important part of this work. And I have to say that that's taken me decades to learn. And, and that's one of the joys of the 50 plus is understanding that my self-care is actually as important as anything else I do, taking care of my kids, working, teaching. No self, if there's no self-care, none of this will happen. It just won't happen. It won't be, you know, so it's taken me, but wow, Sarah, it's taken me decades, absolute decades to be able to understand that. Well, yeah, what I'm hoping is that we could actually save some of our younger listeners the decades that it took the two of us <laughs> to really <laughs> figure this out. I mean, you know, the way it shows up for me when I'm burned out is I get resentful. I get sort of angry when I look at, you know, they just added more patients to my schedule today. When that shows up, I know that resentment is inversely proportional to self-care. I know that I have to increase the dose of self-care. So don't wait until you're in your 50s like Yale and me. Uh, we want you to be doing this all the way along, right? That's essential. Hold it in. It's just, it's part of your growth. It's part of your learning. It's part of, it's as I always, you know, when we talk about exercise and we talk about how recovery is as important in increasing fitness as the training, it's exactly the same concept. That the time it's, away from the work, it contributes as much to your growth and success as the time in work. And again, it's literally and taken me up until probably a year ago to be able to say, and I have kids, young kids, work, you know, homeschooling during COVID, you know, and just being able to say, actually, there is a boundary to this. I am going to create boundaries because if there are no boundaries, I am of no use to myself, to anyone, or to the work I'm doing. So as I said, it's, it's certainly taken me a very long time, but then I'm not sure anyone was having this conversation with me. 
well, this is how we transform medicine, these types of conversations. And, you know, I think that boundaries are the, the type of thing that no one is going to define for you. That is a job that you have for yourself to define your boundaries, to reinforce them, to defend them, to be really clear about how important your boundaries are to you as an individual and as a practitioner. Now, in some ways, I feel like the millennials understand this, at least my millennial patients seem to understand this better than those of us that oh. are a little bit older. So I'm excited to see that. I also think it's one of the gifts of the pandemic that many of us looked at the way that we were working. I certainly did. You know, I was traveling 50%. I was burning the, band, the, the candle at both ends. My aura ring would give me bad news about my heart rate variability on a daily basis. Yeah, and I know that. <laughs> you know that feeling? Yeah. So, I do. You know, I really think the pandemic in many ways has allowed us to step back and say, let me look at these boundaries. Let me look at the self-care. Let me reimagine what this could look like. And redefine my workday. So that's what it gave me. I mean, wow, when I used to go into the office at eight and come home at five to cook dinner for the kids and be grumpy because they needed me to do homework and cook dinner at the same time. And what, what this has done is I've completely redefined my workday. And it's taken me a while to figure out what works for me. And that's, you know, and now that I've figured out what works for me, it's working for me, it's working for my children, and it's definitely working for my work. So for me, it's been a great gift. Uh, it, unbelievable gift. And no matter what happens, I'm holding on to it. I'm not letting it go. That's right. And we also know from the work in functional medicine that what works for you right now may not work for you in five years. That's right. You know, your kids will be older, your demands with your work will be different. So we have to be open to that dynamic state mm. of really coming up with what works for us. Love it. Right. Tell us about... We're going to finish off now. So tell us about, let's go back to the, your conversation that you're having with all these amazing women around the world, women, food, and hormones. So women, food, and hormones is really about how to improve your metabolic flexibility as you get older. So I wrote it for women who are 35 and older. It's really designed to share a therapeutic four-week practice with the ketogenic diet. And I won't give the whole story away, but what happened for me was that when I wasn't doing such a good job with my self-care, going back to when I wrote my first book and my second book and my third book, what happened was I was sitting too much. I was drinking probably a little too much wine. I'd come home from the end of the day of taking care of patients all day. I would make food as you described for my kids, for my husband. And then I would work for hours, you know, writing these books and I gained weight. You know, that's for me, that's one of my vulnerabilities when it comes to health shows up as weight gain, shows up as inflammatory water weight. It shows up as increased fat mass. It shows up as more uh, sugar burning instead of being able to flexibly flip the switch between burning glucose and burning fat. So I tried keto Start, uh, going back to 2015, and it didn't work for me. So I had to really go at this to do some N of one experiments with myself and then with patients once I figured it out to understand what do women uniquely do to allow the space for metabolic flexibility to flip that switch. So I came up with a four week ketogenic food plan that really flips that switch, but it requires having the detoxification pathways open. Mm. 
And it requires leveraging the back door to ketosis as needed with intermittent fasting. Fantastic. So great. It's practical. It's got a plan and something to follow. We love that. That's excellent. Well, something for us to look forward to. I'm going to look forward to getting my um, signed copy sometime in the future, Sarah. Just say well, you, you just have saying. to move to the States for that. So I'm hoping that's going to happen okay. very soon. Okay. I'll move to the States to get a signed copy of your book. That's no problem. There we go. I can make that happen. No, fantastic. Well, Sarah, thank you so much. It's been wonderful as always speaking with you. Always just so inspirational. And I know that you're not even at the beginning of your journey, that we're still going to see such incredible things coming from you and with you and really changing this conversation. So I know that despite the extraordinary amount of work that you have accomplished, we have a great deal more to, to see. Well, thank you so much, Yale. I love everything that you do. It's such a pleasure to be friends and colleagues with you and to be working together with other folks who are listening to us to change the way that medicine is practiced because the way that it's working right now it's in a failure state. We have to solve this. We have to make it better. We have to claim it and own it and participate in the deepest way. Fantastic words to end with. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Power of Genetics podcast, brought to you by 3x4 Genetics. For more episodes, please visit 3x4genetics.com slash podcast. And if you are a licensed health practitioner who would like to apply to join our network, of over 1,000 like-minded visionary practitioners, please visit 3x4genetics.com slash apply.